0: This is a journey into sound. Brought
1: to you in living colour on WTDR.
0: In the beginning,
1: the end. It's a story, but that's why I'm here, to tell you stories. So where to start? When you're in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all. But only a confusion, a dark roaring, a blindness a wreckage of shattered glass and splintered wood, like a house in a whirlwind or, or else a boat crushed by the icebergs or swept over the rapids, and all aboard are powerless to stop it. It's only afterwards that it becomes anything like a story at all when you're telling it to yourself or to someone else.
0: My guest is Caveat Magister, He's a journalist, short story writer, novelist, former denizen of a Buddhist monastery in India, a nightlife reporter for Playboy, a longtime Burning Man participant and former volunteer coordinator, among other things he's done at Burning Man. And he's the author of a new book, The Scene That Became Cities, What Burning Man Philosophy Can Teach Us About Building better communities. Caveat Magister, welcome to the Magical Mystery Tour.
1: Thank you. It's a great pleasure.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. I I enjoyed this book very much. First off, what is Burning Man? How did it begin? And what was the intention behind
1: it? (laughs) Well, the phrase Burning Man is actually applied to a number of different things right now and can get a little confusing. Burning Man Usually is a shorthand for an event in the desert of Nevada, the Black Rock Desert, in which 70,000 people, give or take, come together and all create a city together and then live in it for a week and then take it down and leave no trace behind. It is, in fact, the largest Leave No Trace event in the world. But that event is best described as Black Rock City, which is the actual name of the city, because while Burning Man and Black Rock City were synonymous for a period of time. Burning Man also is at this point a global culture, which is something that a lot of people don't realize. That there are in fact over well over 60 events that happen around the world in over 30 countries that are all participant-driven, that are all participant-led, that all follow 10 principles of Burning Man, and have things like no commodification, no vending, an emphasis on radical self-expression and radical self-reliance. Uh, So, in many ways, Burning Man is best described as his culture, and while Burning Man is often a shorthand for the event in the desert of Nevada, that should be called Black Rock City just to differentiate itself. Burning Man began in 1986 on Baker Beach in San Francisco when two men and their families, Larry Harvey and Jerry James, decided as a sort of a family picnic-style event to go and build and burn a life-size man on the beach and when they did this there were some other people around and they all came and sort of gathered around it and it, it became this potent beautiful moment and people wanted them to do it again so they did it next year and a lot more people came and then eventually they moved it out to the black rock desert where first fewer people came because <laughs> the desert is much harder to reach and It's a much less hostile environment, but gradually more and more people came and suddenly, over just a couple of years, thousands of people were coming and then tens of thousands, and that grew uh, not only to be a city of 70,000 people that is temporarily created and taken down every year, but a global culture and even a movement.
0: So what was the intention behind that original burning man or burning of the man was it kind of like a, a ritualistic burning of the man, or, or was it something less than that?
1: That is probably the most common question that Larry Harvey, the man whose idea this was, Jerry James was the, his friend and the, the person who actually built it. It's probably the question that he was asked most in his life from that point onward, and it's a question that he never answered. Burning Man, as a culture, celebrates things that we do for their own sake, things that you are intrinsically motivated to do. And the question that is most relevant is not, why did Larry burn the man, but what is it that you want to do now? Why are you here? What is this for you? And by not answering that question himself, Larry opened up the door for everyone to bring their own answers to it and to have their own experiences.
0: I like that. that. In a sense, that's the ultimate burning of the man.
1: I I think that's a good way to look at it. There's really a way in which Burning Man as a culture doesn't encourage inherited explanations and meanings, that it is something that you discover for yourself, not just the first time, but every time you do it. And that is a a very significant difference from the way most of us live and and most culture operates most of the time.
0: So how does Burning Man support that kind of environment of self-discovery?
1: I think there are there are a couple of different ways, and, and here I should mention that we are using Burning Man now in a third meaning, which is the the organizers, the organizing entity that does the Black Rock City event, Burning Man. The entity is now a nonprofit called the Burning Man Project, and that is also distinct from the culture and from the event. But so let's let's say people want to organize a Burning Man event, whether it's the Burning Man Project or whether it's anyone else. How do they encourage this? The first thing is by a uh, phrase that is used a lot in creating these kinds of events is you you create the container, but you don't fill it. You create the conditions under which people can come and bring their own content, bring their own things that they want to do. And this will often mean, for example, securing the, the necessary permits uh, if you're out in a desert-like environment, or the, you know the porta potties. You know, take, taking care of those kinds of logistical things to create in which events will happen. But what it doesn't mean, and, and this, is, this is where things get really tricky for people to understand, even though it's very simple, is you don't create prescribed entertainment that people can just wander around from. And this is something that's really different. So, I mean, for example, a number of years ago, a friend gave me a, a wonderful present and took me to the Aspen Food and Wine Festival. And there was no question of what we were going to do there. We walked around to all the tables, and if they had wine, we drank it. And if they had food, we ate it. Then we went to the next table but that was entertainment that was provided for us if you go to a music festival then there is music on all these stages that someone has provided that the organizers have provided for you and you go and you watch and you listen and then you go to the next one for a Man event you don't create any of that or very very little of that instead you give an the opportunity for the people to come and do it themselves what do you want to see well then you should bring that and so people will create tent cities, they will create open bars, they will build a newspaper and actually report on what is going around. Anything they want to do, however whimsical, however weird, however little sense it might make to anyone else. If they want to build a giant sculpture, they build a giant sculpture. If they want to create a stage on which DJs perform, okay, but they have to build a stage and they have to bring the DJs and they have to open it up and say, you know, anybody here want to do this? You make it participatory. You emphasize that People have to do it themselves, and this is why we say when Black Rock City is being created, people are creating the city. They're building the city together. The Burning Man organization, the Burning Man Project, is doing very little of that. They're they're creating the trash cans at the perimeter. They're establishing porta potties. They're they're setting up the roads, but they're not filling it with all of the amazing and weird things that have happened. That's the, what the participants are doing. They're building those structures. They're coming in. They're deciding, well, I think this year we're going to have a juggling conclave, or this year we're going to have a 1000000000 bunny march. You create the environments in which people can create their own meanings by creating environments in which people do what they're going to do, bring their own things, but are not passive spectators just observing somebody else's entertainment or somebody else's artistic product.
0: That seems to be the core of this whole thing is that it's all generated by the desire and passion or inspiration of the people that come to Black Rock City. And you say Mm -hmm. people bring whatever they need to create what they want to create there, that there's no raw materials available there. People have to bring it all in themselves.
1: Right. Right. Uh, And like some some infrastructure things are done. The roads are created, for example. And for major things that people want to bring, there'll be some placement on the city maps ahead of time so that people know where they're going and, and where to set up. Although that affects only a, a limited number of camps who really want to do something. But yeah, to an extent, it is hard to process, given how much we are used to our entertainment and art, and then much of our lives is being handed to us and saying, okay, these are your options, go do that. It is created by the people who come there, which makes it unlike almost any major event on Earth. Certainly Burning Man is often called a festival, but I, I don't think that's right at all, precisely because at a festival you go and you see the things that people have you know, brought for you and to entertain you, and here you come and you create it yourself. That, that really is one of the key differences about Burning Man event as opposed to most other things.
0: And in the creation of Black Rock City, people are somehow coming together and forming communities. And you say that Black Rock City is a city of communities.
1: Yeah, this this is one of the amazing things that Burning Man has demonstrated. Now, this has been happening for over 30 years. And like I say, it started out just as an experiment with two guys and their families on the beach. And then they moved it to the Black Rock Desert as, as part of a San Francisco art community that sort of the cacophony society that, uh, that said hey we want to help with this and now we think of it as this massive global event you know seventy thousand people huge media coverage but early on in those first few years it was several hundred people just out there in the middle of this vast expanse of desert and they could do whatever they wanted it was a open frontier it was in so many ways just the wild west and you had this very rough and raw environment in which people could do whatever they wanted. And that spirit has been part of Burning Man ever since. You know, come and create what you want to create, what you want to do. And what has been discovered time after time, year after year, is that when you give people the opportunity to do whatever they want, most of the time they start creating communities that, especially over time, they start coming together and supporting one another and saying, well, I want to do something that I can't do alone, and so else I said, yeah, I want to help with that, and they start to build communities. It wasn't originally a city. The idea wasn't, hey, we're going to go to the desert and build a city. The idea was, we're going to go to the desert, and we're going to burn this giant wooden man. But the more people who came to that, with the opportunity to do whatever they wanted to do, the more communities formed, and suddenly they realized, we have a city here. We're creating a city every year, and this process has repeated itself year after year after year as people come in, and they're in an environment where they can do whatever they want. And over time, what they want to do is form community, come together. And it is very much not just a city of communities, but a culture of communities. It is a global culture of people creating new kinds of communities now. It's really remarkable. And it's something that most people don't coming because we think oh well when people can do whatever they want they're going to be really individualistic they're going to be you know nasty and the worst sides are going to come out and sometimes things like that happen for a little while but over time people form communities that's what we really want to do that's what when given the choice to do anything in the world we eventually come around to i want to form a community that's what we want to do it's amazing
0: but my sense is people probably don't well, maybe now they do, but originally people weren't looking for communities. They were exploring the possibilities of this wide-open blank canvas, and then when they see other people doing things that spark an interest in them or reflect some some passion or inspiration within themselves, they probably want to join them.
1: Well, you're absolutely right. It was not originally an exercise in community building in that sense. That was not on the table. That was not what people had in mind. But it's what we have discovered has happened. It, it, it emerged. So much of Burning Man is not the result of a blueprint or a master plan. This was nobody's idea that, oh, we're going to go do this and it'll work this way and then it'll work this way. It's a very organic, emergent culture. It came out of this and this is what we have discovered. And you're absolutely right that it's not people necessarily coming and saying, I want a community. No, you be right Is you know, as Burning Man has gotten bigger, more and more people have come just for that reason. But so many people come just because they have a vision they want to explore, because they do want to go a little crazy, or they don't know that there's something that they feel like they need to to confront in themselves. And they wander around this environment where people are engaging in their passionate weirdness and their personal idiosyncrasies, and they discover not only their own capacity to do this, but most of the time a desire to do it with people. To me, the spirit of Burning Man, is the epitome of this, is is when you're wandering around and you see someone doing something weird and amazing that you don't understand at all, and then you say, can I help? I mean, that is really, to me, a distillation of what the spirit of this all is. But it doesn't work because people come in and say, okay, I need to find my community now. It works because people come in and say, all right, what am I passionate about? What do I really want to do? And the more they pursue that, the more they find themselves engaging in community and creating community. It starts with you as the individual. What do you really want? What do you really care about? What are you intrinsically passionate about? And then from there, everything builds.
0: So you really have to pay attention to what's going on inside of yourself and get to know yeah. who you are in order to allow this to emerge.
1: Absolutely right. And that, that is the process. In the book, I call this applied existentialism, that you are in this environment where... Suddenly, you have all the options in the world to do what you want to do, but there's also no way to win. It's in a decommodified environment, so there's almost nothing that you can buy. You had to bring what you have, so you, you can't engage in the sort of usual chasing after money and status and power that most of us you know, occupy our lives with.
0: Or bring our old
1: games to or it. Or bring our old games, yeah, absolutely right. And so you're suddenly confronted with this question, what do I want to do?
0: What do I really Even, want to
1: do? What do I really want to do? Exactly right. What is it that I really care about just to do for its own sake? And that can be very difficult for people, actually. I mean, you, you see these people wandering around the desert trying to figure this out, and they're sort of like lost souls. And, and the, the more you resist, the, the harder it is. But yes, it works because people over time, sometimes just people just take to it, sometimes just go, I got this, and are, are suddenly in it. And sometimes it's a struggle. But yeah, it's a process of figuring out yourself of, getting to know yourself on a whole different level and what you really, really care about. That is exactly where it starts. And paying attention is the very first and most crucial thing. If you're on autopilot, it does not work. And in fact, it usually goes very badly. One of Burning Man's 10 principles is immediacy, what is happening in this moment. And I think to the extent there's something that we can call Burning Man's philosophy, it begins with just, all right, let's pay attention. What am I actually experiencing? What is happening here? what is going on around me and how am I feeling about
0: it. Yeah, there's an old saying here in Vermont that when people ask somebody, how do you get to such and such a place? And the old timers would say, you can't get there from here. And it's, yeah. it's like the opposite, really. Of You have to be here in order to be able to take that next step or to know what that next step could be.
1: Exactly. That's exactly it.
0: And this community-building thing is fascinating because I, th- my impression of this world that we live in is that I think most people are experiencing a lack of meaningful community in their lives.
1: This is just my personal sense, but I've really come to see the reason why Burning Man is so appealing to so many people. And they come and they, they literally feel like, I'm, I'm at home. This is, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to be living is because the information economy-based commercial capitalism that so many of us live in is really unsatisfying in this way. It's atomizing it. It is inauthentic. It commodifies us. It turns us into a quantified self in a way that is very unpleasant and kills the soul. And people who are caught in that are looking for some way out. And I think Burning Man is a profoundly meaningful response to that and demonstration that you can live differently. I think that if the world we lived in were not so atomizing and so isolating and so inauthentic that Burning Man would not be as necessary as it is.
0: Mm -hmm. So how did this decommodification happen at Black Rock City?
1: Well... It happened organically, and this is an answer that's going to come up again and again when we talk about Burning Man's principles, that it really was not a blueprint-designed, okay, this is a good idea, everybody do this kind of situation.
0: It emerged
1: organically out of the culture that people discovered that they were building. It was a thing that happened, and then was noticed, and then people said, okay, I guess this is how it works, right? And we said, yeah, this is how it works. The modification was not a goal that people came in with. When the man was first burned on Baker Beach, the idea wasn't, hey, we're going to make an anti-capitalist statement or an anti-consumerist statement. It wasn't a statement of any kind. They were just doing it themselves. And early on, they actually did explore merchandising and questions of sales. In the first couple of years, there were Burning Man shirts that were created and sold. And there's sometimes people tried to vend in the early days out in the desert. There was a guy who tried to sell fireworks another guy who I actually know and I'm friends with who was, you know, grilling out hot dogs and hamburgers and then trying to sell those. But people discovered that the more they did that, the less of a good time they were having, that they were actually having a better time when they did things themselves and when they gave things away as opposed to bartering for them or as opposed to trying to sell them, that the experience they had together was more like the experience they were looking for when they took commerce out of the equation. And again, this isn't a larger sort of money is bad kind of statement because, of course, they bought their camping gear to go in. They bought their food. You know, The, the idea isn't that there's no money involved in this ever, but the idea as they came to see it was that when we do get together, when we are in this place together doing this thing, commercial enterprises gets in the way. That when we mediate our own interactions with one another through money, so that instead of just being present with you, I am marketing to you, or I am selling at you, or I am trying to you know, do brand awareness, that these are things that get in the way of authentic human interaction. And that's not the kind of community that we want to build. And so decommodification as a principle didn't emerge out of some larger sense of right and wrong. It emerged out of the fact that when people got together, they didn't want to do that. And they realized they were having a better time and a better experience, and a more meaningful experience when they didn't do that with one another. And this, on the one hand, seems revolutionary. But on the other hand, it's also kind of common. I mean, when family reunions happen, you know, you don't really go around to your family members and say, okay, you know, I've got potato salad, and I'll sell it to you for, you know, $3 a half pound. Or, you know, if you're the guy at the family reunion who's trying to sell everybody in your insurance company, you're kind of a jerk. So it's on the one hand kind of revolutionary to have decommodification as one of the key principles of an event like this. But on the other hand, it's also very basically human. We know that if you want to have an authentic interaction with someone, you don't try to sell them something.
0: So why isn't this happening more in the outer world? Why, why only at Black Rock City? Obviously, it's not only there. It's happening in lots of other smaller communities as well, and even in a few cultures that are older, more traditional cultures. But Absolutely. why isn't this happening more in our broader outer culture?
1: A couple of reasons. And the first one is just that we live in a society that is so saturated with commercialism, that it really doesn't occur to us most of the time, right? I mean, let's be honest, the idea that you could go somewhere that is, you know, filled with people and not buy what you need is kind of weird for us most of the time, right? I mean, it's actually startling, given how basic decommodification is, that a lot of people, it just doesn't really occur to them. But it doesn't. And I'll say that I was the same way when I first got involved with this. You know, wait, what do you mean that I can't go and just get a meal plan? Or if I want to get a you know, sweater on site, just buy a sweater on site or, or whatever. I mean, it's actually kind of weird for people. It's something that they have to think about and, and figure out much of the time because our lives are so saturated with commercialism. So that's one reason. Another reason is, let's be honest, throwing an event like this without commercial sponsorship and vending as income is actually hard. I mean, it is more difficult. It is very convenient to say, all right, we're going to be sponsored by Coca-Cola. We're going to be sponsored by Disney, and we'll put their signs up. I mean, you know, it solves a lot of money issues very easily, and so it is harder. It's also the where things tend to go so wrong. I mean, there are all kinds of events and festivals right now that are trying to do what Burning Man does, and they all take the shortcut of saying, well, sure, but we're going to have sponsors, and we'll have a vending area, and what's going to hurt? Well, but it does. It's one of the reasons why no other event has been able to do this, let alone on the scale, is that they're taking that shortcut. And I understand as someone who's tried to organize events, it's really hard, but it makes a huge difference. So I think that's the second reason, is that people are taking shortcuts. Understandably so, but they're this, this easy way through. And then that leads to the third reason, which is that this isn't something that you just out and do. We are so conditioned to be commercial animals at this point that you have to practice decommodification before you can really internalize it. I mean, there there are all kinds of people who say, Oh well, you know, wouldn't it be great if we were to have be less commercial and have less money and, you know, rely on this less and blah. blah, 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 blah. And maybe they're right and maybe they're wrong, but they all have trouble really living it. And that's because this takes practice. It's not something you can just do. Decommodification, living a less commodified life is actually a skill that you have to work on. And it helps if you can start small and then build your way up. And it helps if there are already other people around who are doing it, so that you have examples of how it works, so you have people you can turn to and say, wait, how do I work with this? So that you have a community in which it is possible to do this more easily. That makes a difference. And so I think those are the three reasons to sit And they need to be able to decide, have this experience where they can really say, yes, this is better, I like this better. And they can orient to that.
0: And it's more fun.
1: And it's more fun, and that really is the key. It's not that people go to Black Rock City, it's not that people go to Burning Man events, and it's all, well, we didn't buy anything this week, so we sure showed them. No, this is a way that they have actually chosen to be for a week, because this is better. They like this better. And that's, it's more fun, and that really is what it comes down to. Not that it's some larger point that, oh, you have to do this to be a good person. It's that it turns out this is something people actually want to do once they have the experience of it. And that's really remarkable. If
0: you're just joining us, my guest is Caveat Magister. He's a journalist, writer, a former denizen of a Buddhist monastery in India, a nightlife reporter for Playboy, and a longtime Burning Man participant and former volunteer coordinator, among many other things he's done at Burning Man. And he's the author of this fascinating book that we're talking about, The Scene that became cities, what Burning Man philosophy can teach us about building better communities. And this is the Magical Mystery Tour. So getting to another one of the core principles of what you call radical inclusion, could you talk about the conversation you observed between Larry Harvey and Isaac, who was one of the members of the Cacophony Society
1: not the Cacophony Society, the American Situationist Movement. Oh, the,
0: right. Yeah. Okay, um, got it.
1: Right. What it came down to was we, we met Isaac at this, this museum exhibit, and he was a member of the Situationists in America, and the Situationists were a European arts movement, primarily in France, that was very influential on the avant-garde, and uh, Many of the Cacophony Society members were influenced by it. Larry discovered it in the 90s after he was already doing Burning Man, but he thought it was tremendously interesting and had a lot to say about what he was doing. And then the idea of the situation is primarily is that the world has been turned into a spectacle that encourages passive consumption rather than direct engagement, that All the forces of the world, the commercial forces, the cultural forces, are being turned into things that we passively consume and thus we're not really engaged in our own lives. And it's a powerful idea. And one that really does speak to what Burning Man is trying to accomplish by getting people to be directly engaged and participatory and do things themselves. But... As we were talking, it became clear that Isaac had never been to Burning Man and didn't actually think all that much of Burning Man, and Larry asked him why Isaac didn't know who Larry was and you know, found out in his conversation, and Isaac said, well, you know, I mean, the thing about Burning Man is maybe it was interesting early on, but now, from what I hear, it's overrun by squares, and... Larry said, oh, yes, it's filled with squares, It's filled with people who aren't artists. And Isaac thought that Larry was being self-deprecating, you know, that he was was being humble. And Isaac said, well, you know, that's okay. You know, you can't really keep them out. And Larry said, oh, no, no, we we encourage them. We welcome them. How else do you know that you're having an impact? And Isaac said, well, I've never really believed in that covert to massive stuff. And Larry, without missing a beat, said, well, I've never believed in the romantic allure of the underground. And oh, that moment spoke to me so much. But that really is a big part of what radical inclusion is, is that we're not trying to be underground. We're not trying to be cooler than anyone else. It's not, you know, oh, well, do you, know the, do you look the right way? Do you drop the right names? Do you have the right references? Do you listen to like the right music? It, it's, it's come join us. We welcome the strangers. That is literally part of the principle of radical inclusion, is that we welcome the stranger. And it's come as you are. You don't have to shine up for anything in order to come be part of this. It's come as you are. Now, obviously, there are some things that we do value. We have 10 principles, and you should know that you are joining a community in which these things are valued and these things make it all go. But you don't have to believe in any particular doctrine or agree with anyone about anything. Just come and join us. That's really very much at the heart of radical inclusion. And I think it should be said that you know, if Burning Man weren't like this, if it wasn't an environment that welcomed people this way, I probably never would have been let in. And in fact, Larry liked to say that you know, if it were like that, he never would have been let in. He had to in, <laughs> he had to invent this in order to go and, and and get to do it. So many people think, oh, I'm I'm not you know cool enough or artsy enough or avant garde enough to join Burning Man. And No, we're 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 all just a bunch of people who came out saying, I don't know, what's what's here? I don't know if I can do this. But we found ourselves
0: welcome. That's such an important dynamic. I mean, I I remember growing up feeling left out of many things and feeling like an outsider in many contexts. And then on occasion, I would be like an insider in in certain groups. And that feeling is still in me. There are times, like, when I just feel like a snob, where I just want to, you know, keep the wrong people away. And then I realize wait a minute, that's what's wrong with this world. That's what's making this world so insane these days, is that we're doing these, we're playing these games with the world around us, and we're not even aware of of how it's ruining our lives and our experience in the world.
1: Yeah, it's, it's amazing how quickly these things shift and how hard it is, even if you've felt on the outside once you are on the inside to remember, oh, no, no, wait a minute. I need to reach out to people who might be in the position that I was in. And it's like decommodification. This is actually something that that takes practice, that takes work to realize that, oh, yeah, no, this act of inclusion is important and something that I need to, to figure out how to do and keep going in my own life, even when I'm at the very bullseye of whatever the inside is. But it's so important. I mean, periodically, people will, you know, this is an argument that comes up in pretty man cultures. You know, well, we, only, we can only sell so many tickets. You know, Are we getting the right people in? And it, it is true that people who dedicate themselves to the culture and work for the culture should, you know, be able to attend the event, absolutely. But by the same token, the more we keep new people out and the more we say, well, we just want to play with people who are just like us, the more things atrophy really quickly. There are so many different things in in Burning Man culture that are now iconic and a big part of it that, of course, weren't there at the beginning. It was somebody none of us ever knew coming in and saying, hey, I want to try this. And suddenly we went, oh my God, that's amazing. How did we not know we needed that? Radical inclusion is not just a wonderful human thing to do, but also a profound source of cultural vitality and, and rejuvenation. Because people are coming in and they're bringing their own passions, right? We're in an environment where we ask, Hey, what do you really want to do? What are you really passionate about? And when people come in and discover that, it gets weird. It gets unusual. But when people are bringing their authentic passion to a community and saying, This matters to me and I want to do this, it's so energizing and and amazing. And so much that people you, you never imagined have to offer. And radical inclusion is a way of keeping that going, as well as being a, a very lovely human action to do.
0: Right, it's much more than just a nice idealistic way of of relating to the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly, and this is this is the same thing as I was saying before with decommodification. It wasn't like there was a you know early document, a blueprint early on where you know where someone said, okay, and we're going to be inclusive because it's the right thing to do. It's people as they were living in this culture and building it and emerged out of it, realized this is better. This is a better way to be. We like this better when we are inclusive. We like what happens. We like who we are better. We have a better experience when we are inclusive. And so, yeah, it it emerged organically out of that, not out of some larger moral precept, although I think you and I would agree that this is the right thing to do. But just because... The better you get at it, the more you realize this is a more enjoyable thing. This is more fun. This is how I would rather be living.
0: And that's a big part of the importance of paying attention because these Mm -hmm. things happen organically by the spontaneous interaction of all these disparate elements that you wouldn't necessarily intentionally or deliberately try to make happen. Mm -hmm. And only by paying attention to what's happening do you realize, wow this is great, yeah. this is better than I could have imagined.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's, it's the opposite of instant gratification in that sense, which says, I know what I want, give it to me immediately. And instead is, okay, what is actually happening around me? What am I actually experiencing? And when you have that, when you have that immediacy, you're, you're able to realize that, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm actually enjoying this more. This is, a, this is a more interesting time. This is a better time. This is what I want to turn towards and orient towards.
0: Yeah. And there's another thing that you you say about Burning Man, that Burning Man is not benign. Mm -hmm. Could you explain that and how Burning Man is different from like the usual retreats and transformational events that most people in our culture try to escape Mm -hmm. to?
1: Yeah. This is the thing that if I had... One thing to make sure people understood when they were coming to Black Rock City or a Burning Man event or participating in Burning Man culture, this would probably be it, that it is not benign, that it is, in fact, quite dangerous. And what that danger is has shifted somewhat over time. When people were first coming out to the Black Rock Desert, the environment was incredibly dangerous, and they didn't know what they were doing, and so there was very much a possibility that they were going to die. And the desert is still an extremely dangerous environment. I mean, it is really important to know that. People need to take their hydration very seriously, their shade very seriously. But as it has grown into a city of 70,000 people, it has become much better at taking care of each other that way. And so it's still dangerous. People do die at Burning Man. It does happen. There are a lot of injuries as well. But what we're really talking about more often is the fact that This is an environment in which people are discovering their intrinsic passions and pursuing them and chasing after them in ways that they haven't tried before. And we think of that as being really exciting and wonderful and joyous, and it is, but it's not benign because you can fall flat on your face. You are trying to do things that you don't know how to do. You're exploring new passions in yourself, you're looking into new ways of being, and Failure is very much an option, and as you open these things up, you don't know exactly what is going to come out or what you're going to run into. It is an environment that is often described as an engine of possibility, an environment in which anything can happen. Anything is not benign. I have never encountered an environment in which people's inner demons come up more quickly and with great force than that burning man, in fact. I am quite open about this. I am guaranteed at least two major existential crises for every week that I have had a printing Man event. It It just happens because you are confronting yourself. And you can only do that. There's a way that you can only really have that experience of exploring yourself and confronting yourself and engaging that way if things can go wrong. If no one is going to step in and guarantee you, oh, it'll be okay, you're only going to have a good time. At most Burning Man events, you're not just going to have a good time. You're going to have the whole of the human experience, which includes all of the sorrow and the anger and the loneliness. You're going to go through these. You're going to confront these things. And this is very different from most transformational events, which are saying, okay, you're going to come out being more enlightened. You're going to come out being happier. You're going to... There's, there's a specific goal, end point that we're aiming for. And you're going to have that experience Burning Man is not about a specific endpoint. It's an environment in which these things can happen, and the endpoint goal is whatever you decide for yourself.
0: Or whatever you discover,
1: it, or whatever you discover, exactly right. Exactly right. But what no one at Burning Man is going to say is, "You are going to transform so that you are going to end up more like this mm-hmm. or that. You're going to find yourself, and that is actually a very difficult experience. In having that moment of applied existentialism and asking yourself, what do I really care about? You're going to have to go through a lot of things that maybe you've been avoiding in your life, or maybe you haven't looked at, or that might have been difficult for you. Confront fears, senses of inadequacy, all things that are actually really, really common for people to do out there. And no one is going to promise you you're going to have a good time with it. But you have the opportunity. You have the possibility. It raises up possibilities that you wouldn't already have before. And fairly often that does turn out wonderfully well. It's just going to be a really difficult journey, but you're going to end up not more like some abstract enlightened being, but more like yourself.
0: Hmm.
1: And that means you're going to go on your journey. And all the tears that have to flow are going to flow, and all the anger that you're going to bring up is going to come up. And, you know, we can support each other on this, but we can't do it for you. And I think that's really what it comes down to in terms of the difference between Burning Man and and then so-called transformational events. Mm -hmm. Burning Man, no, it's all all about you. You're doing it. It's yours.
0: And many people forget that this whole process is a continually evolving and changing process.
1: Right, right. That's exactly it. There's never a static moment where suddenly you're done, and, and you don't have to do this again. Now, maybe you At some point, say, yeah, I've done Burning Man a couple of times or even just once, and, you know, I think that's fine. You know, I want to go do something else. Sure, absolutely. If that's where your journey takes you, great, you know. But there's never in life or in Burning Man a point at which you're finished. Your journey's over. You can stop paying attention. You can stop asking yourself, okay, what am I experiencing? What am I really feeling? What's really going on here? We're dynamic creatures, and we continue to grow and change. And so, no, there there isn't a point at which stops and you're done.
0: Let's talk about creative tension and how Black Rock City seems to be a great generator of creative tension because you have so many different people there bouncing off each other, going through this continual process of self-discovery, with occasional existential crises and not only is there self discovery but there's self discovery and discovery of others in the context of this continual interactive you know interrelational thing that's happening continually during the week of black rock city burning man.
1: Mhm. Well creative tension is in many ways at the heart of why I think burning man has the impact that it does and It's important to realize that I think like any really authentic culture, Burning Man has contradictions baked into it. Take Burning Man's ten principles, for example, which again are not the rules that were set down at the beginning and where, you know, Larry said, Oh, we're all gonna have a community that follows these ten principles. It was that many years after they'd been doing this for a while, eighteen years in, people were saying, Hey, you know, how do we describe what we're doing? And so Larry created the Ten Principles of Burning Man based on what he was observing in the culture. It wasn't a blueprint for the culture. It was an observation about when this is working, when this is going right, these ten things seem to be happening. And they are contradictory. You have, on the one hand, radical self-reliance, where individuals are encouraged to be as self-reliant as possible and rely on their own inner resources. That's one of the Ten Principles. But you also have communal effort, where people are encouraged to come together to cooperate and collaborate and solve problems and the civic responsibility in which we all assume responsibility for the public welfare. So wait, are we radically self-reliant or are we focused on communal effort? Are we focused on communal effort or on civic responsibility? What's going on here? And the answer is yes, (laughs) yes. In order to have this community work the way it does, in order to have this culture work the way it does, all ten are needed, and all ten are needed all the time. And what this means is that when they come into conflict, you can't create a hierarchy of them such that, okay, well, if on the one hand it's a question of communal effort and civic responsibility, well, this one has to win. No, you have to come up with a way in which these things that are in tension with each other have that tension become creative rather than reductive, rather than destructive. And this process, I think, of being able to hold contradictory ideas in mind and Believe and practice and engage in such a way, act in such a way, as to enhance them all as much as you can is at the heart of why Burning Man works as a culture. And you're absolutely right when you have tens of thousands of people all engaged in their own art projects, their own civic projects, their own idiosyncratic ideas. Then you get into all kinds of very strange territory, and. There's a destructive human impulse to say, well, I need to get all this into line. I need to get this to line up so that it makes perfect sense and it it can be explained in a flowchart and everything is going to be simple. That's not where the magic comes from. That's not what makes it really interesting. What makes it really interesting is when you see people trying to be as self-reliant and engage in communal effort as much as possible, being as inclusive as they can and being as participatory as they can. When you have all of these things coming together and the contradictions between them, the friction between them, the tension between them becomes creative rather than destructive, that's where really interesting and magical things start to happen out of that.
0: I wonder if you could tell a story to illustrate some of these ideas and principles that we're talking about.
1: Sure. One of the things I I mentioned in the book, The Scene That Became Cities, is that Burning Man philosophy is often conducted through laughter, but it is repository of stories. It's not abstract rules. It's not, you know, slide decks and and flowcharts and sets of philosophical proofs. It's stories that are repositories of the wisdom that we have. I said earlier that if there was one thing that I could tell people, who are going to have a Burning Man experience, it's that it's not benign that you have to know that. You have to be ready for that, and you have to understand that you're not going to be entertained. You are going to have an experience that is going to be as raw and vital as anything you've had in your life. If there were another thing that I could tell people, it's that it's okay to be miserable at Burning Man, which is actually the title of one of the pieces that I wrote for Burning Man's website many years ago, and there's a story attached to that, that is in the book, and it's one of the stories that is most personally meaningful to me. Many years ago at Black Rock City, I was having one of those existential crises that I mentioned. I was in one of the foulest and worst moods that I've ever been in, and I wanted to be in a fight. I wanted to hit you personally, and I was literally... Walking across the middle of the open desert, going to the other side of the city in the hope of finding a bar where I could start a bar fight. I was in that kind of mood. It was horrible. I don't even remember now why I was, but I had my own inner demons had come up. And as I was walking across the desert, and again, this is an open expanse of desert in which there are all these art projects, these strange structures, these sculptures. You know, at various points, people walking around through them. I come to this section of desert that has been cordoned off by velvet ropes and there are these four desks inside and people sitting at the desks. Three of them are occupied. One desk is empty. And there are these people going around from desk to desk inside. And there's a guy standing at sort of a podium outside at the entrance to this cordoned off area by velvet ropes. And he's sort of acting as a kind of a native D and he calls out to me if I'm passing, excuse me sir, is there anything you need, anything I can help with? And I'm in the mood I'm in, so I shout a profanity back at him. And he says, anything we can help with at all Sir, anything? A uh, non-conforming use permit, a uh, consumption waiver, a second story permit, a divorce oh. permit. And I stop. I'm really puzzled by what's happening here. I'm baffled. And I discovered in this moment that curiosity can cut through hate. I was in this hateful, angry, dark place. But this is weird enough that I have to know. And so I walked over and said, okay, what's going on here? What is this? And he says, oh, well, we're the Bureau of Needless Bureaucracy, sir. We handle all the paperwork for Rock City. If there's anything you need, if you need a planning waiver, if you need a zoning permit, we handle this. And an idea hit me, and I said, okay, yeah, all right. I could use some paperwork. And he says, okay, great. And I'll just let you in, and we'll uh, we'll take care of it. So I say, well, are you going to let me in? And he says, no, 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 I can't. Yet. I'm on a 15-minute union break. It's really important. If I ever take up smoking, this will be crucial. And so we're just standing there, and then I think, okay. And so, you know, we're out in the desert, on the hot sun, and so I pull out a juice box. And I say, sure, it's hot out here. And he says, yeah. And I hold out the juice box. You want this? And says, says okay, okay. And you can go in, but only, you know, if anybody asks, it's because you're a fellow member of the meatpackers union. And I say, yeah, absolutely. So I'm in the juice box, and I go in, and I come to the first desk, and the guy says, oh, hello. Sit down. sit down. I say, what do you need And I said, well, I'd like a divorce. And he says, Oh great, okay. Can I see your six oh five D form? And I said, My he says, Oh, I need a six oh five D form to get that going. And I said, Okay, well I don't have that. Oh well you get that over there and he points to the second desk. And I said, Oh, okay. So I go to the second desk and the guy says, Oh, sir, sit down, what can I do for you? And I say, Well, I I need a six oh five b form or whatever for divorce and he says, Oh, okay, great. Can I see your your process approval for that? And I said, my, what? He says, Oh, well I can give you the form, but I need to have a process approval to give you the form and well, now, so, so, I get, so it turns out I get that at the third desk, but so now I'm going back and forth between all of these desks, you know, in a runaround to, to get this, and finally after, you know, God knows how long from all of this, I'm finished, and I'm back at the first guy at the first desk, and he says, okay, great, yes, I see you have all of the paperwork here, so what can we do for this? So I'm I'm looking for a divorce. He says, okay, great, well, I'll get that started, what's the name of your wife? And I say, I don't have a wife. and He says, oh, husband? I say, no, I don't have a husband. He says, well, you're... you're," I said, no, I'm not married. And now he's puzzled. He says, well, who are you looking to divorce? And I just erupt in fury, and I say, the entire human species! I want a divorce from this entire fallible, stupid species that is constantly disappointing me. I want this document to symbolize my eternal disappointment in... Every one of you, and I just, I just go off on how angry and furious I am with all of humanity. And when I finish, he's taken aback, and he thinks about it. He leans back to his desk, and he says, Okay, well, if that's how you feel, we have a spare desk here. Would you like to work here? And I say, more than anything in the world. And he says, Great. And he calls out to the second guy, Hey, hey, Noodles, this guy hates all of humanity. He's going to work here now. And the guy goes, Great. When can he start? When can start? Right now. Right now. Fantastic. Okay, she filled about the health care forms. And then 15 minutes later, I was one of these guys sitting at this desk giving people, complete strangers who were coming in, the runaround and the stupid experience. And it was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had. And it absolutely transformed this furious anger that I was feeling into something that was just joyous and participatory and helped make other people laugh. I mean, that's amazing, at least it was for me, and a number of the principles are illustrated here, which include and begin with immediacy, paying attention, right? This, this has come up so much in this conversation, because, of course, if I hadn't been not only paying attention, but honest about what I was feeling, if I hadn't been that, none of this would have happened. If I'd been one of those guys who was insistent, like, no, I'm having a great time, I'm I'm really enjoying myself at Burning Man, then... None of this experience would have happened. So there's immediacy right there. There's, of course, the principle of radical self-expression. This was a very weird and stupid art project these people were doing, but it was an expression of, you know, their own intrinsic motivation. Given anything that they could do that they wanted to do, they cordoned off a portion of the desert with velvet ropes and brought out desks and engaged people in stupid bureaucracy. This was their act of self-expression. It was inclusive. Literally anyone could come and participate. It was, in a sense, a a gift to people. And when you were in it, you had to be self-reliant. You had to figure out how to work the system. All of these different things came together. And, of course, there was tension between them. I mean, the, the biggest tension being that they were trying to offer me an experience that I was in absolutely the wrong place to have, right? They were doing this stupid, jokey kind of thing, and I was angry at the world and wanted to hurt somebody. And yet, you bring these things together, and instead of one of them conquering the other, instead of my hatred and anger destroying their whimsical art expression, or their whimsical art expression forcing me to put on a smile and being like, yeah, okay, I'm having fun, sure. Instead, we got both in. I got to be as angry and as furious and as depressed as i really was and they were able to take that and bring it in authentically into what they were really doing and the result was that they got a whole new recruit in to participate in their project and i had the most amazing time we said all right let's play with what we really have here and get more of both let's make room for both
0: does that make sense Absolutely. And I loved that story.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, it really it was really a meaningful event for me. They actually invited me to come back the next day and I said <laughs> yes. <"Yeah." laughs> so yeah.
0: Another example of what can happen when we pay attention and make ourselves available to something outside of whatever we think we're doing or trying to do.
1: mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. Absolutely right. And not just paying attention. But being honest about it, like I say, this is why I often title the story: "It's okay to be miserable at Burning Man." Because if I had been pretending to be something I wasn't, if I had been pretending that I was having a good time, and oh sure, I'm, you know, I'm really happy at Burning Man, if I hadn't been honest about what I really knew was going on with me, it couldn't have happened. That paying attention and that being honest about what was going on was just so important.
0: If you're just joining us, my guest is Caveat Magister. He's a journalist, writer, a former denizen of a Buddhist monastery in India, a nightlife reporter for Playboy, and a longtime Burning Man participant and former volunteer coordinator, among many other things he's done at Burning Man. And he's the author of this fascinating book that we're talking about, The Scene That Became Cities, what Burning Man philosophy can teach us about building better communities and perhaps by extension a better world or a world that we would want to live in. And this is the Magical Mystery Tour on WGDR Plainfield, WGDH Hardwick, Goddard College Community Radio. I'd like to talk about Burning Man and politics. Mm -hmm. In 2017, there was a Burning Man Global Leadership Conference. Could you talk about what happened there when the subject of Burning Man and politics came up?
1: Uh Oh, Oh, yes. There have been a number of Burning Man Global Leadership Conferences over the years. Uh, They actually started in 2006, I think, as a regional network conferences, and then they just grew and grew, and eventually I got involved, and in 2017, which as of the time we're talking was the the last one that's been held, there was a panel discussion on Burning Man and politics, because of course in 2017, this was just after the 2016 presidential election, there was very much a sense of urgency among much of the world and certainly you know a large portion of the Burning Man community about okay what's going on here what do we do and the question has come up periodically is burning man a political movement does it have politics and this is a complicated question because having political positions is hard to reconcile with radical inclusion if anyone is welcome here if we respect and welcome the stranger then we can't have a political litmus test we can't say well you have to agree with us on, you know, our stance on environmentalism or social justice or what have you. You know, we can't have these kinds of litmus tests. And yet, at the same time, we're a radically self-expressive environment, and so people's politics can't be chased away either. You have to be free to express what is important to you. So the question of whether or not there's a Burning Man approach to politics is a complicated one, and one that has been felt with an increasing sense of urgency. And so I moderated a panel discussion with myself, with Larry Harvey, the man who just primarily founded Burning Man, and uh, young activist, Roman out of Washington, D.C., who was a leader in the D.C. community, and also an activist, to discuss this question. And, you know, I had a lot of carefully nuanced thoughts and questions to put to them, and then eventually we would get around to opening it up to the audience and, and come out the question, okay, is there a Burning Man way to do politics? And I want to emphasize that if someone goes to Burning Man and is inspired to be politically active, more power to you. I mean, whatever your political positions are, if you are inspired to get active and participatory in democracy and in politics, great. That's fantastic. But that's you being inspired. That's not you know, a Burning Man thing. And we're all about people getting inspired. But if someone comes to Burning Man and is inspired to learn how to weld, we don't say, well, you have to weld the Burning Man way. If we're asking, is there a Burning Man way to do politics? Well, that's a separate question. That's what we were trying to answer. And what happened was, was that the room could not wait for the panel discussion to happen first before they did a and A. I I had gotten, I think, one and a half questions in when someone from the audience started shouting out things about how, you know, Oh, you have to listen to this immediately. And other people started responding and I quickly realized this is too passionate to tell people, Oh, no, no, wait, we'll we'll get to the Q and A. We'll we'll get to that. And so I just opened it up. I said, Okay, let's have a direct conversation with you, the audience here and it was polite and friendly, but also heated and passionate. And as the panel discussion goes, it really went over the rails. I mean, it was, riding, it was riding a bull. And from what I've been told, the feedback forms basically said, poor caveat, he did the best anybody could, but it wasn't going to happen. The sense of passion and engagement was just too much. And I don't know that a really clear answer came out of it. I don't think that a consensus was reached about how this is the right way to engage in politics. But I do think that personally, and again, this is not an official Burning Man statement, this is my take on where Burning Man takes you with this, that there is a way to do this. It's just not conventional, and in that sense, not satisfying for people who want to do conventional politics. And again, if as a result of your participation in Burning Man you are inspired to get politically active and do conventional politics and try to do it better, great. That's fantastic. But If you want to say is there a Burning Man way to do politics, I think it involves helping communities solve their own problems. I think that what Burning Man cannot do is, outside of really existential issues where, okay, you know, let's be honest, the Burning Man Project does have people who talk to the federal government about land use issues because Black Rock City is on federal land, so okay, that happens. But generally speaking, based on Burning Man's 10 Principles, if you want to solve problems, you don't lobby which is to say you don't ask other people to do something for you, and you don't protest, which is to say you don't demand that other people stop doing what they're doing. Instead, you build up capacity for people to do it themselves. I think the Bernie Man approach to politics is not to say, okay, someone else has to feed these people, but to say, all right, how do we personally do it right now? Let's get organized, let's get started. It's not... Hey, if we need to lobby to send money to solve a disaster, to create disaster relief efforts, it's all right. How do we go and be helpful to these people who have suffered from a disaster? How do we build schools? How do we do alternative financial arrangements to get money to people who need it? And how do we solve our own problems? And how do we help communities become the kind of communities where people can solve their own problems? I think that's it. And again, I have to emphasize, there's no community consensus on this. This isn't like the ten principles, which are basically people saying, "Yeah, this clearly emerged. This is it. This is what it is." It's my best guess for the moment, but it's a really heated and engaged question that you know, people literally could not sit still for in a, in a panel discussion.
0: And I remember that there was one woman named Kay who was a longtime activist who said, mm-hmm. "Who said that Burning Man is the antithesis of the activist approach?" And I thought that was. That was pretty profound coming from a longtime activist.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kay was very involved in a number of protests, including the the battle for Seattle. And back in her activist days, she was actually a trainer for field medics who were doing direct action. And she was very involved in that before she got involved in Burning Man. And the point that she was making is that for effective direct action like that, Everyone needs to know their place and what they're doing and be trained and prepared and all marching in unison and lockstep. And Burning Man is not people marching in unison and lockstep. It is people bringing their own idiosyncratic passions and approaches and somehow all coming together to build a reasonable facsimile of the impossible, but it's a completely different process. Activism says we all have to subordinate ourselves for this greater good, and that's the right thing to do burning man says, hey, if you follow your passions far enough, we're going to be able to come together and do something amazing because that's what you want to do. It's a completely different kind of sublimation.
0: And what a powerful way to approach life for everybody in the whole world, not just that burning man, regardless of what camp you're in or what side of any fence you happen to be on.
1: No, absolutely right. And this, this is why The subtitle for the book, The Scene That Became Cities, is what Burning Man philosophy can teach us about building better communities. It doesn't have to stay in the desert. It doesn't have to stay in Burning Man at all, actually. I mean, these kinds of techniques don't have to be used just to build Burning Man. They can be used to create almost any kind of community that you want to create, as long as it is open to people's individual passions and engagement, as long as you're trying to make people participants rather than spectators. And that's why it is important that it does demonstrate that this is possible. Burning Man is a prototype. It's not a finished demonstration at all, but it's a prototype that this is possible, that this can work, that this can be done, that we can, in fact, live this way. And the, the point is not that anyone has to, but that a whole lot of people, you know, millions of people at this point, myself very much included, feel like, yeah, this is a better way to live. I would rather live this way. I would rather figure out how to orient myself towards this kind of living, towards a life that is filled with immediacy and participation and radical self-expression and radical self-reliance and radical inclusion, I would rather try to live this life than the one that has been handed to me and basically asked me to do my job so that I can be passively low into complacency by all the entertainment options I have available. I would rather be part of a community that is building something because I would rather be building something. A lot of people discover that, yeah, this is how they want to live. This is, this
0: is, actually, this is actually better. Yeah, I, I felt that way for many years now and wondered, how can we help to facilitate that happening? And there's another thing that you write about, that after Burning Man, that people go through a kind of existential crisis when they return to the outer world and they have to deal with the old game that isn't fun to play.
1: Yeah, that is one of the more difficult moments that people face, especially people who really had a profound experience in a Burning Man space. Is You go back out to the rest of the world, to your life, and you say, oh, how do I reconcile this? What do I do? How do I live a life that is more like that in a world that is not supportive of that? And in many ways, this is the fundamental cult challenge that Burning Man culture faces right now. And this is the point where we are saying, okay, let's figure this out. Let's figure out how to make this happen. And there are experiments going on with art funding models, with community development, with shared housing. But how do we figure it out? How do we do that? And the thing is, there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all answer for this, because of course the whole point is that we're not a one-size-fits-all culture, because we're not one-size-fits-all individuals. Any culture that emerges out of people's individual passions that says, okay, we want you to pursue what is most meaningful to you, what is intrinsically valuable to you. It's not going to come up with a standardized form that you fill out to find your authenticity. It's going to get different, and it's going to get weird, and different communities are going to handle it differently because they have different people in them. But we're now at this point where a critical mass of people are saying, all right, I want my world to be more like Burning Man. How do we do that? How do we get there? And I think in much the same way that Black Rock City emerged out of a bunch of people who had just gone to the desert to play in a frontier, I think that we're going to see more and more Burning Man environments emerging out of people who leave Black Rock City, who leave Burning Man events, and say, okay, I want to make this
0: work. And one of the big challenges in all that is economics. Mm Mm-hmm. The current economic system that we have is very elitist, and it's not fun for the 99.9%. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was giving a reading a week or so ago, and someone in the audience actually stood up and said in the Q&A, well, this is all fine for the rich and brilliant people, but, you know, what about everybody else? Or What are we supposed to do? And, And I had to say, well, this is about you. And the whole point is that if this is something that only, you know, one percent only point one percent of people get to do that it doesn't work at all the whole point is that whoever you are you should get to live a life that is more filled with your authentic passions more filled with your intrinsic motivation and, and what you want to do But right how do we accommodate that economically how do we figure that out and I'm not going to pretend to have clear answers, and again, I don't think that any one-size-fits-all answer is actually going to work. I think in many ways, we have to avoid the trap of saying, well, there's going to be one system, and we'll do that, and then everyone will be happy. That's not really how this works. But I do think that one of the key things that I talk about very specifically in the scene cities is the realization, the recognition that our broadly defined, very broadly defined, passion, engagement activity, in any sense, on the artistic continuum creates value. It creates value in a way that our economic system is willing to use and appropriate and take advantage of, but not really acknowledge. And what do I mean by that? Well, okay. So what happened in the Black Rock Desert is that a bunch of artists and homegrown philosophers and 'er ne'er-do-wells all went out year after year and started doing something there, and just doing their art thing there, right, building their city. And after 30 years, it's become one of the hottest tickets in the world, and billionaires are just trying to buy their way in and fail it. It took 30 years. That's immense value. A bunch of artists just going out to a place where there was literally nothing, and hanging out there and doing their thing, created this massive economic engine that everybody wants a piece of now. That's not an accident. That's how this works. That's why you see economic development efforts often trying to lure artists into rundown areas and get them to live there for a while, because suddenly communities revitalize around that. People who are following their passion, and I talk about art as being the way this happens, but really it's radical self-expression in any form. People who come in and do that generate enormous value for the communities that they're in. And one of the ways that value is created is it's translated into money. That is one of the kinds of values. It can be a fiscal value. It can be fiscal capital. And the problem is that because of the economic system we have, fairly often, once that value is generated, then the owners come in, the speculators come in, and suddenly the artists who have created and get driven out. But we do have a way, we have a very clear roadmap developed and proven time and time again, not just in Black Lives City, but in economic developments everywhere, that if you get a community of people who are engaged in participatory acts of radical self-expression and communal effort the enormous value was created so the question is okay how do we make sure that they and the people who are already there are sharing in that and get protected against the speculators and the one percenters they, they swoop in and say oh well, we'll, we'll just take that but there are clearly ways in which pursuit of authentic experience generates enormous value and that i think can be tapped into as an economic model. And I can't deny one of the early phases of the experiments of figuring out how this works. But we do know it works. We do know that. That's been demonstrated.
0: But that is such a dangerous dynamic because one of the ways that it works is that it lures in big money. And big money, or robber barons, as one might also call them, some of them at least, is the tendency to want to appropriate it for their own use.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This is why so many alternative communities fail, is that they get appropriated. I mean, let's not kid ourselves about this. Let's not pretend that this is going to be easier than it will be. We're very much at the point now where these same forces are attempting to appropriate Burning Man. They absolutely are. And thus far, they have not been able to, but it's also have not been easy. I mean... There are a lot of people who are angry about the very fact that the 3.1% is represented in BlackRock City. It's a struggle, but it's also a struggle, we understand, and it's one we have to have. There isn't a way out without going through. So, all right, let's keep generating this value. Let's keep creating it, and let's hopefully over time find better and better ways to not be appropriated. And the good news is that not being appropriated is actually a really simple dynamic. You just don't sell out. You just don't. You don't trade your social capital for access to fiscal capital. And I say it's really simple. It is conceptually simple. In practice, it's actually really hard, which is why so many of these cultures who are trying to do it fail.
0: It's so easy to sell out because that's what the old game tells you to do, that when you've been made an offer that seems to be very attractive, everybody thinks, oh, this is success. I've made it. And yet in the process of making it, you essentially cut off the lifeblood to the limb that you're on.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly right. The problem is precisely that we don't take social capital seriously. We've been conditioned to take money seriously. We believe that, oh, money is a real and solid thing. And you know, even though we know perfectly well you can't buy happiness, you can buy a lot of neat stuff with it. And so we take it seriously, whereas we think of social capital as being something that is wishy-washy and replaceable and uh, you know, how hard can it be? And it's just the opposite. Money is actually a conceptual art project. You know, currency is an imaginary resource that is very renewable. And we see that now with cryptocurrencies and people say, Well I'm just gonna create a currency and let's see if it has value. That's actually a conceptual art project. That is what currency is. I don't mean this as an endorsement of cryptocurrency generally or any particular one. I'm actually quite skeptical in some ways. But it does demonstrate that, yes, of course, money is a made-up imaginary thing. Social bonds, social ties are intangible, but they're actually very solid and very real. And selling out is easy when we do not realize that you cannot just replace these things, that they take time to build up and time to nurture and they're exceedingly difficult to do, and they mean so much that we are actually very, very happy in communities with stronger social ties and social capital than we are in communities that are governed purely by market forces. And so on the one hand, it's very hard not to sell out, but on the other hand, that's because we don't appreciate just what the value of social ties and social capital are. My hope is, and again, you know, it is entirely possible that Burning Man will fail on this level. I do not want to suggest that, oh, you know, we, we got this. We don't. It's, it's going to be a struggle. The struggle is going to be real. This is not benign. But one of the things that Burning Man makes apparent as people come into it is just how important social capital and social ties are, and how much there is to the value from that, and how much environments that encourage Immediacy and radical self-expression and inclusion have to offer, and so hopefully that will make selling out less of an appealing option. In fact, in many ways, Burning Man's biggest appeal is to people who, having sold out, are now lost souls and don't know what to do with themselves. In many ways, Burning Man may be the answer for a culture that has sold out.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, it's a way to re-enter.
1: Exactly. I think Burning Man, frankly, has a lot less to offer cultures and communities that have these kinds of ties and have real strong community ties and an ethos in which the community looks after the individual and the individual looks after the community. I think it has less to offer communities like that. But I think so many of those communities have been devastated and so many of us are living lives that are determined by market forces that the appeal of coming into an environment like Burning Man, of finding a way of re-engaging with that is profound and important.
0: And also, we're living at a time where we, as a species, are facing an existential crisis that is Mm -hmm. beyond anything that we've faced before or known how to deal with.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So maybe this is the type of direction that we have to move toward, and that is the unknown. And I think that's what Burning Man offers, is a way to practice continually, stepping into the unknown and having a genuine, authentic relationship with that mysterious... I think
1: so. And I want to emphasize that Burning Man may not be the final step in this. In fact, I would be very surprised if, you know, a hundred years from now, we've said, yep, Burning Man worked, that was it, we had that, they were done." Burning Man may very well be a stepping stone and part of this cultural evolution. And, you know, absolutely may not be the finished product. That seems quite likely to me, actually. But it mm-hmm. is a direction. It points out a direction to move in. It is a prototype of something that we now know can work. It is a way of practicing the kinds of skills that we will need to practice in order to get where we need to go. I think it is tremendously important in that respect.
0: hmm And I'm sure you've been having lots of conversations with other people within Burning Man culture about this. Mm-hmm.
1: In many ways, this book emerged out of those conversations. I've been writing for Burning Man's website with a fairly unique perspective. I'm one of very few people who was able to write for that website without editing of any kind. For many years, I just had publishing credentials. And so I've had the license to ask very difficult questions about the community to the community without having any kind of editorial in- interference or, you know, without having people say, well, maybe we shouldn't talk about that, or that'll be difficult. I've had the ability to have the difficult conversations in public, thinking out loud. And in many ways, this book is the result of that. Those conversations, those dialogues, that thinking, that philosophizing, put down now into a central text.
0: Speaking of controversial topics and difficult topics, I'm wondering if you have the time to uh, tackle one more. Sure. (laughs) And that is... The diversity and cultural appropriation issue that arose at that same 2017 Global Leadership Conference mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what happened.
1: Yeah, well, this is a key example of principles coming into at tension in the way that we were talking about before, because on the one hand, you have an environment which is dedicated to radical self expression. We don't want to put limits on the ability of individuals to express themselves in whatever way they think is important to express themselves. Now, we do believe that radical self-expression, and this is actually something that the principle specifically describes, should be considered a gift and so should take the needs and perspectives of the recipient of the gift into account. But nevertheless, we want as much self-expression going as far as we can. I mean, the whole point is that people need to come in and figure out what is important to them and then find a way to engage with that. So radical self-expression is a core principle of Burning Man. It's one of the engines that drives everything. And on the other hand, you have radical inclusion, which is that we want as many people to come as we can. We welcome the stranger. We welcome new perspectives. And, of course, what this means is that you will encounter things at Burning Man that can be very offensive to you and that sometimes it's a culturally offensive issue. The issue has come up a lot, and with diversity issues, in which you have, on the one hand, a mostly white population of people who are engaged in acts of radical self-expression, and you have an increasing number of burners from communities of color saying, wait a minute, some of what you're doing doesn't represent us, or in fact, is actively offensive to us, you know, what's happening here, and how do do we address that? And so, okay, you have a conflict between inclusiveness and self-expression. And what do you do with it? And again, Burning Man has not solved this problem. But I do think it has been a problem that we have had are getting increasing practice in figuring out how do we address this, what do we do with this. And I think that there are a number of different approaches that are, are most helpful. And again, I'm I'm speaking for myself now, not for the Burning Man project or, or the organization. But I think the first thing to realize is that this is something that is best addressed by people actually connecting with one another. That is to say that these arguments are at their most intractable when you have people who do not know one another and have not met one another talking from platforms at one another. These things do not get solved satisfactorily there. And there often isn't even the possibility of getting it reconciled. Whereas when you have specific people talking to other specific people When you can ask an artist, wait, what are you actually trying to say here? And when the artist can hear from the people who are affected, wait, why is this something that is really troubling for you? And it's specific people in the moment having a conversation. I no guarantee that you're going to solve it, but it's a much better condition under which something can happen, under which you can have conversations that rather than driving people apart, start to bring it together so that you don't have to sacrifice inclusion for expression or expression for inclusion but can find a way that the artist can say well this is what really matters to me and this is what I want to express and find a way to help them do that while also making sure people are saying well we have a problem with this and this issue is a problem are heard and that can be addressed it is possible sometimes not always but sometimes to actually solve this in ways that are more inclusive and more expressive both together Rather than less, but that comes from people actually coming together and having a real conversation about what is actually going on, as opposed to them clinging to bullet points about how well this is the right thing or that is the right thing. It's a human issue rather than an abstract philosophical issue, and I think the best way that Bernie Man addresses this is less by saying, "Okay, what's happening in Black Rock City," but by recognizing that we are a global cultural movement now. There are Burning Man events in Japan, and in Taiwan, in Argentina, in Brazil. One of the largest Burning Man events is in South Africa. And so you have communities of Burning Man all around the world. And the best thing you do is to reach out to neighbors. Not to wait and say, okay, well, you know, who we want to have show up at the event, or who gets tickets, or even wait till a problem shows up. But reach out to neighbors. Get to know the people who live in your community of different cultures. Ask, how can we help? Not even, hey, you know about Burning Man, you like this Burning Man thing we do. That's kind of obnoxious, frankly. That's proselytized in a way that nobody needs. But if you have resources, if you are a local community that does things involving communal effort and leaving no trace and civic responsibility, reaching out to other organizations in, in different areas of your community among diverse cultures and saying, how can we help? That makes a difference.
0: And if you see something yeah. that you like and and inspired by, to reach out and say, hey, I like this idea, how can I help? As opposed to yeah. maybe feeling jealous or, or envious of it.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely right. If someone is doing something amazing, even if you don't understand it, reaching out to them and saying, hey, how can I help? That's the spirit right there. That's that's what it is. And I, I think it's in that area. It's outside of Black Rock City. It's in Burning Man is a global cultural movement that, Diversity is best addressed. And again, not as this abstract thing of, oh, we need diversity for diversity's sake, but of neighbors reaching out to neighbors, communities reaching out to communities, of people where they live reaching out to other people who sit next door and saying, hey, how can I help? That to me is the most human and most successful way that these issues can be looked at and addressed.
0: That's beautifully said and a great point to end on. Caveat Magister is a journalist, short story writer, novelist, former denizen of a Buddhist monastery in India, a nightlife reporter for Playboy, a longtime Burning Man participant and former volunteer coordinator, among other things he's done at Burning Man. And he's the author of this wonderful book that we've been talking about, The Scene That Became Cities what Burning Man philosophy can teach us about building better communities. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Oh, me too. We've covered so much wonderful territory, and this has just been really, really wonderful. And I want to thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It's been a great pleasure.
0: And that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, have a wonderful week. For more information, check out wgdr.org.